Hi, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we talk about Zelda lore. I'm Crystal, and with me today is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. Now, this will be part three of our episode about The Wind Waker, which may have many more parts that I cannot number yet at this point. Infinite, basically. Where did we leave off last time? The spot we left off at last time was Kali Deimos was dead. Uh, all of Charlotte's children flew away. And Makar was sticking around. And so was the little uh, apothecary for the Koroks. And uh, you were done. You were done here. And the I don't think we actually mentioned it, but the Deku Tree does give you Faror's pearl at the end of the little thing. And uh, okay, So we just have one pearl left. Yeah, you just got the one pearl left. You got Din's pearl and Faror's pearl. And when you go down to the shore, you can talk to the King of Red Lines about it. And he's like, okay, the last thing we need to get is Nehru's Pearl. And then this part of the journey will be complete. But before then, there is actually one aspect of the Forest Haven that we forgot to talk about. And what's that? Oh, what's that? <laughs> that would be the Nintendo Gallery, which is on a huh. small on a small little island uh, just behind the Forest Haven that you need the Deku Leaf to reach, at least initially. Or, wait, no, you can just sail up to it and climb a ladder, right? Yeah, but there's a, a switch that you have to press to open the uh, the vault. Is that something you do with a hoi pair? I think so. Okay, so, uh, yeah, it's an island with, like, a submarine vault door on it that has to be opened by a separate switch and, assumedly, can also open from the inside so the guy inside of it isn't trapped. And you go down in there, and it's just, like, a gallery with a bunch of areas that aren't opened yet. There's, at this point, um, a room for outset, a room... Is there a separate room for windfall? Or they, it doesn't, yeah. Okay. A room for outset, a room for windfall, a room for dragon roost, and a room for the forest haven. And there's this woodcarver who lives in there. And he says, if you bring him images of people, he'll make little figurines of them. Now, Monica, you mentioned before that you wanted to talk about the significance of the Nintendo Gallery. So what exactly did you mean? Well, what do you think it means? What? What? You've got a bunch written there. I know you've got more to say than that. Okay, well, if you take a picture of Karlov, he'll make a figurine of himself. Uh-huh. And with each figurine, you get a little description. And uh, his is pretty interesting. Um, it says, Lately, his club has been losing membership because he hasn't done anything cool with it. But as long as Link hangs around, everything will be all right. Holy shit. Also, he carves um, in his underwear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. He sure does seem to know a lot about the people that you take pictographs of. Yep. Does does Karloff is, Karloff is his name? Yes. Does he just know everyone? I don't know. Like I don't know if he puts the description there. Maybe the description magically associates with the carving. Who knows? Oh, is uh, he a, a relative of the Happy Mask salesman? I think I think you could make that argument. Could you? Yes. What are we basing this on? Uh, Karloff is Nintendo. <laughs> he knows oh. everyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's solid. He carves dolls instead of masks. Yeah, okay. I guess that makes good sense then, sure. And the Nintendo Gallery is Nintendo. Oh my god, it is just called the Nintendo Gallery, isn't it? Yes. Do they call that in the game? Yes. They yes. say they say Nintendo, leave luck to heaven. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Nintendo is canonical in the Zelda series. Yes. So if the happy mask salesman is Miyamoto, who's Karlov... Uh, I'm sure that Karlov, huh, hold on, I'm gonna pull up a quick picture of Karlov so I can look at his face. Tezuka? 
With a C. Kind of looks like Takashi Tezuka. Does it? Okay, yeah, I buy that. He sure doesn't look much like Aonuma, does he? Uh, yeah, okay, sure, Tezuka. But I do feel like the the description of how, you know, it's been losing membership because there's nothing cool coming out recently. That's Nintendo at the time with the, the GameCube uh-huh. and Zelda. Oh, oh my god. Zelda. Zelda. Yeah. More like Zelda. Oh, we never talked about the milk thing, did we? No. Okay. Um, well, we can discuss the milk thing if there's some downtime. But yeah, this is just a fun, neat little side thing, which is in some ways the most frustrating side quest in the game because it's actually missable and you have to continue it on New Game Plus if you miss out on the bosses. Is there anything else in there that's super missable? There are a couple of things in the the original, not the HD version. I think one of the dark nut kinds with a shield, mm-hmm. you have to take a photo of it when you melt it on one place otherwise it's missable and um one of the one of the rito is missable oh i see. I can't remember if he was still missable afterwards but there's no no rhyme or reason for it okay that's a little strange but all right um so yeah that that's basically the nintendo art gallery a place where somebody puts all this pressure on link about keeping it thriving and alive so please 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 take pictures and bring them to him but it's still pretty cool. Is this the only function in the Zelda series that's like this, where you just get a gallery of all the in-game models? Uh, Breath of the Wild kind of has something like it, although you don't get models. I like the models thing. I think there was some sort of a figurine thing, but it's more more of a gotcha thing in one of the handhelds. Was it? I uh, yeah, Minish Cap has a Minish figurine Cap. shop. Yeah. Oh, I see. Also run by Karloff. Really? Yes. yes. Oh. God, I have to play Minish Cap. Well, that's okay. These episodes won't finish recording for another six months, so I've got time. <laughs> um, okay, so we're, we're good with the Nintendo. What is the significance of the Nintendo Gallery? Or I, I don't know that there necessarily is any, ex- except that I think you were kind of hinting at the idea that it's some part of the Zelda team going, uh, we're not as popular as we used to be, are we? But we're okay. Long as we keep the good games around, apparently. It didn't really actually work out so well. Wind Waker was popular, but it didn't exactly set the GameCube on fire. But it's easily one of the top favorites for Zelda players. In terms of its quality, yeah, it totally is. Did we talk before about how Wind Waker and Majora's Mask have probably the most uh, enthusiastic of all fans in the Zelda series? Yes. Okay. I listened to that one. Okay, good. Because they do. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so uh, Crystal, do you happen to remember the uh, specifics about how you're directed towards Nehru's Pearl? I, I want to say that the king just tells you we got to go to the Great Fish. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That does sound familiar. So uh, you've got some notes written here about the Deku Tree and the King of Red Lines. Is there anything you wanted to interject? No. Well, when you talk to the Deku Tree, he just mentions that there's somebody destined to seek out the the hero during these times and i was just trying to figure out how long the king of red lines must have been trying to search for link oh i see that's something that he mentions after the dungeon i think yeah so the king the deku tree mentions that the king of red lions has been searching for a hero to complete this quest for a very long time to fight back the darkness of ganon and one thing that monica mentioned is that it's possible 
that the King of Red Lions has been searching for Link since Ganon's initial release, and he was looking for the Hero of Time specifically. Well, we know definitely that makes that, sense why he's a ghost. Yeah, the latter <laughs> part is definitely true, mm-hmm. but it's just the the first part where you know he supposedly was looking when the worst of all possible events come to pass, and if that's Ganon, was it his first outbreak or his second outbreak? And it, it could be the first when things flooded. Yeah, I think that makes a pretty good sense. That's a long time. It is a very long time. So you and the King of Red Lions set sail towards Greatfish Isle. Do you actually have the freedom to move around yet? Or is that not until after Greatfish? I think you can move around. Okay, it's just after the Forest Haven when you're given the ability to explore. It doesn't really matter too much because canonically Link shoots straight for Greatfish because you got stuff to do. And when you get to Greatfish, it's not exactly in the state that you would expect because you get to these first two places, Dragon Roost Island and the Forest Haven, and they are very alive, very well-populated areas in their own way full of magical people and lots of fun and cultures that are under threat but still very much thriving. But when you get to Great Fish, that's not quite the state that it's in. Crystal, how would you describe Great Fish Isle when you first get there? Uh, I would describe it as cracked and ruined. Yeah. I would, shattered. Shattered. That's the exact word I was thinking of. And when you get there, the King of Red Lions is really confused about the state of Great Fish Isle because it shouldn't be like this. This is where the guardian god Jabon lives. Yeah, they were supposed to have more time for development. Yeah. Oh, wait, is that what it is? <laughs> yes. Oh, I did. There's plainly supposed to be a third dungeon here. Okay. Oh, I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. But they did some uh, interesting storytelling in place of that dungeon, I think, because this part right here establishes that Ganon is a threat on a scale that has not been understood up to this point. Because part of the reason that the King of Red Lions is confused about the state of Great Fish Isle is that Ganon's power is still sealed. He should not be free yet. But even with the seal upon him, he has taken this island and destroyed it in a completely... It's just so utterly in a way that's never been seen in this series before in terms of geological destruction. It's horrifying. It's been. It looks like it's been blasted outwards by a bomb from the inside almost. And the King of Red Lion says, okay, we have to trust that Jabun is not dead because it's very clear that Ganon was trying to kill Jabun. A postman shows up. Oh, is that what it is? Yep. Okay, tell me about what goes on with the postman. Um, he was sent by Valu and says, Valu says the island was cursed and Jabun's okay. He's at outset. That's a hell of a curse. Yes. This isn't like a curse where spiders show up and crawl inside of you and get big. This is a curse like I, I don't even know why you'd call that. Yeah, that's a strong curse. Smiting it's, curse. Yeah, a smiting curse. It's like God showed up and decided that a place needed to not be there anymore and hit it with a flaming rock. So the postman, the king of red lions assumes that basically things are so bad that they may be unrecoverable. But Jabin being what? Oh, and the pirates. The pirates are out to head towards to, to get uh, Jabin's treasure. 
Oh, yes, because they just know it as a treasure, not necessarily that it is uh, Nehru's pearl, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they're on Windfall. They are on Windfall, and you have to go to Windfall first. Uh, now, it's mentioned either by the King of Red Lions or by the Postman that you need the bombs from Windfall in order to reach Jabun. And uh, do you happen to remember who says that specifically? I think it was just that Jabun had sealed himself up yeah at outset so that you as in the state that you are cannot get to him okay but the pirates sure seem to have some sort of strategy so why don't you go find out okay that makes sense and so we find out um we head towards windfall and at this point we start to notice that uh not only has the music for the ocean changed i should probably use the great sea as cursed theme for the intro to this episode Mm -hmm. but the music has changed because ganondorf has placed a curse so powerful that night will not change back into day and it's raining and it's raining and the weather's bad and what the fuck is going on here did he stop the sun time magic it's just time magic strong time magic what's your take on this yeah it's a time loop a time loop it that that's going to be our official take on this it's a time loop (laughs) i don't really know why time loop Localized time loop, but you can still move around in it without getting stuck. Well, it's in the sky, in the clouds. Oh, so it's like the light from the sun is still there, but it can't pass. This is a lot more complicated than him just stopping the sun or whatever. <laughs> is it? I well, <laughs> Because it's not stopping the sun, it'd have to stop the planet. Well, I, I just mean... Okay, so... <laughs> anyway, he, he manages to stop the day from coming, which is a really serious curse, which... Yeah, I guess it's a lot like Nehru's thing in Oracle of Ages, where she can just make the eternal day, and Ganon does the exact opposite, even though he doesn't have access to his full power still, and he has power over time? Okay. Well, making eternal rain is kind of like a mockery of the Great Flood. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. I was just meaning to lead into the idea that this take on Ganondorf does things on a scale of evil wizardry that are relatively unprecedented for the rest of the series. He doesn't usually do this kind of evil magic. No. I mean, he does evil magic, but not like the kind of evil magic where it's something out of a fairy tale on this scale, I guess. So you get to Windfall. And the King of Red Lions says, listen, go get the bombs. Just go to that shop where that... The bomb shop is run by a man with a hairdo that looks like two bombs sitting on his head. And when you initially go talk to him during your first visit to Windfall Island, he makes it very clear he has no actual interest in selling bombs to you. He's part of the upper class on Windfall Island, so far removed from the normal concerns of daily life that he has no concept that people might have need of what he produces. So he's fine with producing these very useful tools solely for the use of individuals who can afford prices larger than the game's largest wallet for a single bomb. And he's like the embodiment of bad capitalism i guess so in a way and when this is just his version of bomb control (laughs) uh yeah his version shouldn't sell i mean should should anybody just be able to walk up and purchase a bomb yes okay these bombs are cannons too (laughs) or they operate cannons i mean in a setting where you are 
a seafaring people who are periodically attacked by giant octopus monsters who can only be fought off with cannons powered by these bombs. Yeah, I would say that they actually need to be available to everyone. Okay. And putting them solely in the hands of the very wealthy is deeply immoral, which is why when you show up to the actual bomb shop and it's locked from the outside, so you have to climb up the back and sneak in the back room and watch things from above, uh, you find that Tetra's there and her crew have basically tied up the bomb shop owner and they're just taking all of his shit. He's like, okay, I tell you what. You don't want to sell it. We're just going to commandeer it for the common good. And they talk about their plans here. Oh, do they? Yes. That the Rito um, postman came over and was like, where's Link? And one of them kind of played dumb and said like, oh, what is going on? And the postman mentions Jabun and so on. And, you know, they learn about this treasure, which, you know, of course, as pirates, they have to go get. Um Tetra seems to indicate here that her interest is is different, that she's more concerned with getting to Jabun to scram him away from Outset. Otherwise, Outset could be demolished in the way that Great Fish Island was. The other pirates don't seem very concerned about Outset. Yes. (laughs) But they're like, oh, you sound more concerned about the people than the treasure. And she's like, shut up. Shut up. I love treasure. How dare you? How dare you imply that I care about human lives? Get out of here, you damn scurvy dogs. Or whatever it is she calls them. And they're like, oh, yeah, yes, ma'am, we got it. And they're like, hey, you think maybe we could go party for a little while? I mean, we haven't made port in a long time. And it's just all the boys were getting together and think it might be fun to see the town a little bit. And Tetra's like, "Uh, okay, I tell you what. We'll stay here until morning, but at the crack of dawn, we're out of here. And they're like, okay, that sounds fine with us. And we, the players, go, oh, okay, yeah, that gives us time. And as she's going out, she says, okay, guys, make sure that you get everything loaded up. And it becomes clear in this scene that she knows Link is up there. And she's giving him a hint about how to get the bombs. So he goes on to her boat. And the only person left on there is Nico, who's back to being the swabby now that Link has left. And Nico, poor Nico. Poor Nico. He is the bottom rung of the ladder still, and he has no control over his life. And seeing Link again reminds him of happier times when he had someone to boss around. So he sets up a new obstacle course for Link, and he says, "I don't. You'll never, ever, 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 ever complete this. But if you did, I would give you something good." And was this obstacle course harder than the first one? I actually don't remember. Oh. This is the one where you had to, there were no platforms. You just had to swing between the ropes, right? I yes. guess so. Was that one harder or easier than the first one? Crystal? That was about the same difficulty. You think so? Oh, did it because take? Because it is technically harder, but, uh, you know, you have more experience now. Did, did it take you about? You swung between ropes in the in the dragon roost. That's true. Did you find it as difficult uh, your first time through it? No, I got through it easier. That's good. Experience does a lot for you. So you get through it, and Nico's like, I can't believe you completed this impossible task. Oh, I don't even have anything to give you. Oh, there's only like one thing back here. Oh, but they'll get so mad if I give it to them. Oh, but I gotta give them something. Oh, 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 maybe nobody will find out. Okay, here we go. And he gives you a bomb bag with some bombs in it. And he's like, please don't tell anyone. (laughs) And is it the instant that you leave that Tetra 
contacts you on the stone? I think right away while you're still on the ship. But yeah, I could well, be wrong. yeah, it's basically instantly the Tetra goes, oh, let me guess. That rat Nico gave you the bomb bag. Oh, I'm going to have to have words with him. Well, there's no way you're going to beat us to outset, even if you went there straight away by going to outset right now, which is where we're going to go if you don't get there first. Anyway, see ya. We're going in morning, going which will in- never come in this eternal night. Yes. So don't go there ahead of us or anything, hint. So Link goes to outset. No. Link explores the ship. Oh, God. Okay, what else is on the ship? Uh, Zelda's cabin. I mean, Tetra's cabin. Oh, this is the part of the game Spoiler, where Spoiler, sorry. Yeah, this is the part of the game where you can see Tetra's cabin, isn't it? Because it's the only time when it's not guarded. Okay, so tell us about Tetra's cabin. There's some paintings in there. Um, there's a portrait of what seems to be Tetra's mom, which incidentally kind of looks like Zelda. A Zelda, any Zelda. There is one of those... Um, pictures of the stylized ones of the hero of time by her bed and there is a map of um which i I didn't really get at first but it's in the shape of the triforce just a little bit of a scribble but it's a map of where you set the pearls at the three major triangle islands okay so you actually get quite a bit of insight at least a little bit into Tetra here, if not necessarily her motivations, then at least her background. You see that her ship and also the people on it somehow are inherited to her. This is she is not the first captain of this ship. Though does that come up in dialogue before now? Yeah. Her mom was the previous captain. When when did that come up? One of the pirates mentions it. Is that on the first trip? I guess it has to be. Okay. But you also see that she has a very... Uh, to a person for whom the Wind Waker was their first Zelda game, a lot of the imagery in there wouldn't have meant anything in particular. Uh, but for someone who's more familiar with the series, you see that Tetra has a very intense interest in Hyrule's past, or at least the lore that surrounds it. And the stories that have been passed down about that time seem to have been preserved particularly well for her. But regardless, all of that doesn't come up until a little bit later, I think. Yeah, a little bit later. This this does also establish that what remains of the royalty of Hyrule in exile is matrilineal. Yes. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah, we were talking about that last episode, weren't we? The idea that the royal family of Hyrule might be matrilineal at certain points in its history. This does definitely seem to support that interpretation. Good Which, catch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is a good call, Crystal. It does also make the stuff that we'll hopefully get to by the end of this episode a little bit more fucked up. Or considerably more <laughs> yeah. fucked up. You're trying to aim to that far? <laughs> I think we can get to it if, okay. we can, if we get through the Tower of the Gods. Okay. I mean, we've already gone over the parts where Ganon is as terrifying as he's ever been. And it's like, okay, so, so Tetra is like an anarcho-socialist hero who <laughs> frees up the means that people need to survive. And if you go back and visit the bomb salesman again later, he has a much well-adjusted attitude in comparison to how he was before. He's much nicer and amiable, and his prices are super reasonable. So it seems like he actually learned a lot about from being tied up by pirates and having all of his shit stolen. Everything the guillotine works. The guillotine. <laughs> the guillotine absolutely works. Even the threat of it works. So which is something to consider. Maybe we just need to set anyway. So Link sets sail and goes to every single island except for Outset, 
including the islands where he can't do anything because he hasn't completed side quests or doesn't have the necessary tools, but he goes everywhere. It's good to know. It's good to know. But then he goes to Outset, and then he talks to all the people on Outset. And, well, before you go around to the back of Outset, I think a lot of people will land on Outset so as to talk to the folks on it to see how they're holding up during all this madness. I think you're encouraged to. Oh, yeah. Does the King of Red Lions tell you to? Yeah. Okay. So the King of Red Lions instructs you to go and check up on everybody on Outset Island. And everybody's like, oh, you're still alive. That's good. How are you doing? And you go and you find one of the pigs. And the pig is enormous. It weighs like a ton. You can't pick it up anymore. And if you throw some bait in front of it, it digs like for real digs. It digs so seriously that its entire body disappears under the earth. And if you get it to the right spot, it'll dig you up a heart piece. And that pig loves to dig somehow. And let's see, is there anything else important on the island that has changed except for the actual reason that you're doing this? Your grandmother. Well, that's the that's the actual reason that you're doing oh. this. Grandma is sick. And she's oh. sick because she is so worried about you and Errol that she oh. hasn't been able to take care of herself properly. And she's so sick at this point that she's basically feverish and barely recognizes you when you come in. And the lady who carries around the pot on her head in the beginning is like, listen, we don't really know what to do for your grandmother, but maybe you can ask Sturgeon and he'll be able to tell you. And so you go and you talk to Sturgeon about it and Sturgeon goes, yeah, uh, she needs medicine. Maybe something like the healing power from the fairies at the top of the island. So you go to the top of the island and you use your bombs to blow up a big rock and hop down into a fairy fountain. Is this your first fairy fountain? Yes. Okay, so what is the what 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 happens I know you watched this sequence. So what happens with the fairy fountain? The fairy shows up. Uh-huh. It's an interesting looking fairy. She's got four arms. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I really like the design of the fairies in Wind Waker. They have this very cool otherworldly feeling that wasn't quite captured by the fairies in the games previously where they were just like really big women. In this one they look sort of like otherworldly nature goddesses. Aliens. Aliens? Why aliens? From a distant nebula. God. <laughs> no, fairies are these are spirits of the earth, I think, or the sea. They, they've got they've got the shells behind them. They're spirits of the sea. Come on, they're not aliens. Why would you? They're a little well, bit. Why do they look like, like fee? Look like fee. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, no, it's, they say fee in Hyrule Warriors, uh, if you remember. But um, why do they look like fee? Hmm, that's a real good question. There, there's someone else in the game who looks even more like fee, who which caused a lot of confusion leading up to the release of Skyward Sword for a lot of reasons, and. Uh, so she's like, okay, what does she give you? Does she just give you magic? I, I did not watch this scene, oh, so I can't recall it. Oh, I thought you watched but, it. I mean, you, you get a fairy. <laughs> yeah, you get a fairy, and you take the fairy down to your grandma, and you use the fairy on your grandma, and she recovers, and she's like, oh, oh man, what have I been doing? Link, are you okay? Here I am feeling sorry for myself while you're out there working hard and being brave. This isn't how a grandma should be. I should be taking care of you. She's like, okay, listen. Here's some of Grandma's soup for you. You take this with you, and it'll protect you. And Grandma's soup is the best item in the entire history of the series in terms of its utility. You drop this into any other game, and it is broken as hell. What does it do? It is basically a blue potion that also doubles your attack power until you take a hit, which in Wind Waker can take quite a bit 
Especially since you've got doubled attack power, so enemies die a lot faster. And don't you know it, Granny's so good at packing food for you, and she put in such generous helpings that it's actually good for two portions. So you can drink twice out of one bottle. This really breaks the game. Yeah, I guess... The power of love. It is the power of love, but you were right, Crystal, in that Grandma's Soup does make blue potions utterly unnecessary in every meaningful way. Why don't you just drive to see your grandma? You, I, I, I think this does incentivize you going to see your grandma. And she's always so happy to see you. She's like, okay, you're working hard. Do you want some more Grandma's Soup? Okay, here you go, baby. You take some of this and you go on your way. And you go on your way. So after you've helped your grandma feel better and you've gotten her soup and you're prepared to never die again for the entire course of the game, you sail around to the back of Outset Island and there's a giant octo back there. Isn't there? No. No? No. Oh, it's just a whirlpool. It's just a giant slab. No, there's a whirlpool there? back there that makes it difficult for you to shoot the slab, I think. There might be a whirlpool. I don't know. I just remember the slab. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know what? I'm not going to take the time to look this up on YouTube. But anyway, you have to blow up the big rock wall at the back of Outset Island, which you could not see before because you did not have a boat. So it may actually be only after Great Fish Isle that you can sail around freely because you wouldn't be able to see that uh, opening until such time as Jabon went there. But once you blow a hole in the wall, you go inside and you meet Jabon, who talks with the King of Red Lions and speaks exclusively in Old Hylian. We should pull up what he says. Should we? Okay. Do, do we want to talk about the particular conversation that Jalun and the King of Red Lions have? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do we happen? Do we happen to have the text that the King of Red Lions says? The too? script? Yeah. It's on my computer. Let me see. You should probably open the computer if you're going to read it. Oh, that's okay. Uh, basically, we we can paraphrase here. We don't necessarily need to have every line that the King of Red Lions says. I just. Oh, does the King of Red Lions speak back to him in uh, more modern Hylian? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. I thought the whole conversation took place exclusively in ancient Hylian, but I was misremembering. Okay. So, basically, uh, do we want to read it verbatim, or do we just want to paraphrase? Um, I, we can split the parts. Sure, okay. but we need to pull up the script then. Okay. Uh, pull up the script. I have the King script here. I'll oh. be Jablin. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I believe Jabun speaks first. Okay. Well met, Hyrule King. Well met indeed, Jabun. I am pleased to see that you are safe. The events that we have long feared seem to have been set into motion. Yes, it seems that Ganon has returned. There can be no other explanation. If you have sought me out, it must mean you have found the Hero of Time, does it not? Unfortunately, that is not so. Then for what purpose have you come to see me? The one I have brought with me has no connection to the legendary one, and yet I sense great promise in the courage that this one possesses. Promise? You suggest that I leave the fate of Hyrule up to mere chance? I do. It is the only way. I see. Then I suppose it is up to the gods to deem whether his courage is true. I guess I'm Link here, so I'm just like standing on the boat, <laughs> looking confused. Yeah, he, he is actually comedically confused during this whole Please thing. Please continue. I give to you the guide... You got Nehru's Pearl. The water spirit Jabun was kind enough to give you this jewel, a treasure of one of the goddesses. Oh, okay. <laughs> I give to you the guidepost of the gods. This jewel should dispel the curse that Ganon has cast upon this land. Actually, I've never read that 
particular line before. So the fact that the pearl is what breaks the curse is very interesting to me. It's mentioned afterwards, too. So that so that foul rain and endless night were indeed elements of a curse brought on us by Ganon. He must intend to cast this land into pure darkness for all time. Tell me, Hyrule King, have you learned the whereabouts of the one who carries on the bloodline of the Princess Zelda? I believe I have. That is well. You must protect Zelda. She cannot be permitted to fall into the hands of Ganon. I am counting on you. That's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot. To which Link heard half of it. And to which the player is completely oblivious to the more plot-critical elements. It's great. It is good. The fact that it's locked behind New Game Plus is pretty interesting. This sequence is also interesting because if you can read it, it also sets up a couple of themes that become important not too long from now. Among those themes... Uh, weird paternalistic bullshit. Uh-huh. Yes. Where it's like, okay, this person is of the royal bloodline, ergo, I'm going to refer to them as Zelda, even if that's not her fucking name. Well, the bloodline of... Yes. Yeah, but it's not her name. No, he says you must... Well, it's oh, her regular protect name. Zelda. Yeah. Yeah. You, you must protect Zelda. She cannot be permitted to fall into the hands of Ganon. Yeah. There's so many assumptions about, like, the form that this story is going to take in a way that they end up contributing to significantly. Also, um, the king and Jabun, I guess, are fairly sure that Link has no connection to the Hero of Time. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. He's promising, but, you know, not super special. And Jabun is himself a god, a minor deity, but very powerful. And... His knowledge of the history of Hyrule seems to be very profound. We can assume, based on the language that he speaks, that he is from the time when Ganon was originally released. And he's probably some offspring of Jabu Jabu or something who came to prominence after Ganon was originally sealed. Um, It's interesting that the pearls themselves are items of great magic that can break the curse. So it may be that what we're meant to assume here isn't so much... Uh, what are you looking at his face for? I just wanted to see it. He's very cute. He's got those little... Uh... He's an anglerfish. Oh, yeah, he is an anglerfish. That's pretty different. And Jabu Jabu was like a cowfish or something. Not a whale. Oh, like okay. a big cow. He had gills. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did. He also had lungs, for whatever reason. What were we talking about? The Jaboon. Yeah, Jaboon's uh, interesting because he, he... No, go ahead, Crystal. We're talking about, it's interesting that Nehru's pearl can break the curse. Yeah, the pearls themselves are items of great power, or else the curse was placed in such a way as to interact with the powers of the pearls. It kind of creates this expectation that Ganon might not have been after Jabun in particular, but the pearl itself. But if that was the case, he didn't have to like destroy the entire island. Sure he did. It feels very much like he was out to kill Jabun specifically, or at least it feels that way to the player based just on the information that the game gives them. Let's talk about Great Fish Isle a little bit. Okay. So this is an isle of uh, humans? Uh, well, it does have shipwrecks. The wreckage of ships on it, doesn't it? So if Jabun is a descendant of Jabu Jabu, how come he left the Zora and is now guarding some humans? Things were real complicated after the flood. I mean, there just wasn't much for anybody to do at the time. Maybe There's the Rito... all these hints of some... Yeah, go on. Maybe the, the Rito left Jabun instead of the way ar- other way around. Um, well, maybe. Uh, w- there were so many hints of what, Crystal? 
of like some big shakeup among the minor gods because it seems like their allegiances have shifted all over. Yeah, it's almost like everything was scattered around and mixed up by some kind of calamity. Hmm. Because this is a calamity in the same sense that the word calamity is used in Ganon's Japanese name in Breath of the Wild, where calamity is read as catastrophe or some kind of natural disaster equivalent to it. And uh, yeah, it, it just reads like Ganon coming back knocked the entire order onto its ear. So there's yeah. almost nothing left of the old way. Ganon has utterly destroyed it. And what the King of Red Lions and Jabun and assumedly Volu are doing are trying to restore the way things used to be. A decadence is more removed than the other guardian deities, but it feels like a lot of what's going on here is just trying to restore Hyrule to the way it used to be. Yes, uh-huh. that's kind they, of why they want the past again. That's kind of why I feel like the the bubble over Hyrule wasn't Ganon because the king and Jabun, to some degree, are working to restore it. Well, I mean, that may be a case in certain parts. Crystal, what's your read on this, given the larger themes of the game? Where do Jabun and the King of Red Lions' attempts to bring back the old order fit into the game's larger themes? I think they share a perverse attachment to Hyrule with Ganon. I think they cannot let it go. They gotta let the past go, like Kylo Ren said. Like Kylo, I agree. Not with Kylo, but with Crystal. No, they're 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 in unity on this one. Crystal is the Kylo Ren of this podcast. Um, that's no. fucked up. I'm sorry that I said that, Crystal. Why would you say such a thing? <laughs> Kylo's a doofus. Well, that's not wrong. Okay, so now you have. All, no, did you have something else? Well. No, returning back to the Pearl and Jabun, he calls it... The guidepost of the gods. Yes, he calls it the guidepost of the gods. And this word comes up a bunch in the next little bit. Guidepost? Yes, which I think is interesting. Um, does it? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 it does actually... That one's irrelevant. No, I, I think that it's important because it uses it in the same way. Hmm. Okay, so the King of Red Lions directs you to go to the Triangle Islands that are around the sea. If you've taken some time to do some exploring, you probably already know where they are. But if you don't, you can sail around and get them going. And have oh, we- and and this is this is really great actually. This this ties in so perfectly with with Crystal. Pull up the statues. <laughs> oh God. You know what we're gonna say. Okay, do you see that crystal? Hold on. Yes. Okay, Monica, what do you want to say? Aliens. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, They're totally aliens. No, they are not totally aliens. They share- Yeah, th- this is their their true form <laughs> and the underneath is just how the people of Hyrule interpret them. No. This has the same aesthetic that they were drawing upon when they were designing everything in Breath of the Wild. No, it totally does. It's it's inspired by the. Oh, I'm going to have to actually look this. And they've up got right. like Tetra's hair. <laughs> oh, they do actually kind of. Well, the Na- yeah. the Nehru one does have Tetra's hair. I think they all have different hair. But when you go to the Triangle Islands, there are these little statues, and they're very stylized figures that look like little people with big round heads. And there is light coming out from inside of their eyes, suggesting that there's something inside of the statues that is not this. 
uh, clay pottery that we're actually looking at. And on each statue, you place one of the pearls. And as you go around to the islands, you place new pearls on a different one. And when you place all of the pearls, magic happens. And this particular sequence always sticks with me at least a little bit because my little brother is one of those people for whom Wind Waker was the first Zelda game that he beat by himself. He got through Ocarina of Time, I think, but that was only after watching me do it, and he didn't play Majora's Mask until a little bit later. But Wind Waker was the first time he played through a Zelda game solo, and he actually got to this part before I did. And it sticks with me because this sequence, when the pearls light up, and the light of the gods shines between the statues and shatters the clay and reveals the goddess statues beneath them. And it forms an enormous triangle that stretches across the entire ocean. And within that triangle, another triangle. And within that last one, a tower rises up out of the sea like a defiant arm. He said that was the most effective thing he'd ever seen in a video game at the time, and it's still his favorite sequence in any video game. The the glowing part forms a triforce, and the Tower of the Gods emerges from the center. But it's interesting that the the triangle shape, the larger triforce triangle itself, is the center bit in a larger triforce that is formed by the points of the major islands. Great Fish, Windfall, and Dragon Roost. So you're saying that the points created by the Triangle Islands, each of the three are halfway between uh, two of the three major dungeon islands. Great Fish, Wind, uh, Dragon Roost, and do you say Windfall? Yes. I thought it was the Forest Haven. Oh, sorry, Forest Haven. Forest Haven, yeah. Yes. Dr- Dragon Roost, Forest Haven, and Great Fish form a triangle, and then the Triangle Islands form the inner triangle, so it makes a really big Triforce that covers the entire map. I don't like this Triforce because it's not equilateral. It's isosceles. Is it? Yes. It's tilted to the side, so maybe we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. No, it it's definitely isosceles. we got to get out our pixel measures. I think the thing that bothers me more than that is that it's in the center of its square on the map, but the Tower of the Gods is not in the center of the innermost triangle. I think the thing that bothers me is that when the statues explode, Link is propelled like through <laughs> I forgot that shit. So he, he, what he does is he expects that there's going to be this big thing, and does the King of Red Lions warn him about it? No, I don't think so. Okay, so he's been getting flung around a lot during this adventure. So what he does is he places the last pearl, and there's this glow from inside of it, and this building of power. And Link's like, oh shit, I gotta get away from this. And then there's silence, and he's like, oh. And he walks back up to it. Well, maybe it's okay. And then the statue explodes, and he's flung through the air just miles and miles and miles and miles out to sea. And hits the side of the tower. As the, After the tower comes up, he slams into it just like he slammed into the Forsaken Fortress. And he has flown multiple kilometers to get here, even on the, sca- on the representative scale of the Wind Waker game. And it's like, Link's basically invincible. And it is like the weird juxtaposition between this awesome imagery of this enormous tower to the gods rising out of the sea and Link slamming into it like Wile E. Coyote riding a rocket strapped to his ass. And then the King of Red Lions is just there when he hits the water. He's like, yeah, I figured this would happen. 
and the King of Red Lions. Oh, what, did you watch the sequence where they were at the base of the tower? Uh, yeah. What exactly does the King of Red Lions say to him? Um... This tower, which the pearls of the gods have caused to appear, is a place that the gods of the ancient world prepared that they might test the courage of men. Only one who is able to overcome the trials of the weight here will be acknowledged by the gods to be a true hero. Only then will that hero be permitted to wield the power to destroy the great evil. Link, that which you must obtain now lies before you. You must believe in your own courage, which has led you to triumph over the many hardships you have faced, and you must triumph once again. You must rise above the trials of the gods. So it's some leftover shit from Skyward Sword. <laughs> Thanks, Crystal. Oh, is that how you see this? That, like, in canon, is that... Uh, how do you read the Tower of the Gods as it exists in canon, Crystal? Not as, like, a joke about Skyward Sword, but, like, within the context of just this game. <laughs> so it was made by the gods of the ancient world. Now, there are many ways to interpret ancient world... But given the uh, technological nature of the stuff in this tower, I interpreted to go all the way back to the era of the robots and Skyward Sword. So this is a truly ancient tower, but and yes. it just lay dormant in Hyrule for untold millennia until it was needed for this particular trial. Yeah, because before the spirit of the hero could just reincarnate, but then Zelda messed that up. Uh, I don't think that's exactly what happened. She kind of messed it up. No, I mean, I don't think that the spirit of the hero actually reincarnates. Oh, we'll get into that. We will get into that, because it's like one of the most important things about how I read the game. But it doesn't actually come up until the very last sequence. So we'll get into it in the last episode, I guess, sometime next year. I think the... The Link had so many trials in Skyward Sword to prove his worth. He did. He had a lot. Yep. This is just another one i think the tower looks and maybe it's just a function of the the similar art design but it looks vaguely like sheikah technology yeah so you see echoes of this in breath of the wild yeah if you look at the side of the tower there are these little circles that are connected through with lines that shows up in breath of the wild and in the boss room there's this distinctive blue glow of lines in the background and it's, it's very Sheikah or at least you know whatever the Sheikah got inspired from so the idea behind the Tower of the Gods is that you're going through and this is where you actually get the bow if I remember the bow is essential yes. to getting through here and it's basically a combination of combat challenges and puzzle challenges it feels a lot like an end game dungeon in some ways just in terms of how it's constructed are there monsters in there or is it all armos there's a few but they're all robot things okay it's all robot uh, they're mainly robot things there are some keys and such but ganon's beasts are not in here right i think oh that's significant i think um are we looking this up yeah okay give us just a second crystal uh there's a there's a wizrobe in there Oh, See, yeah. that's why I would check it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Wizrobes. Is this from Gamepedia again? Yes. I love Gamepedia. Zelda, Gamepedia. It's the better Zelda wiki. I said it. Yeah, all right, I buy but that. But beyond that, it's mostly uh, natural monsters like the Keese and the Choo Choo and the Rocks. Yes, but then there's also Bubbles and Wizrobes in there. Which is interesting because this place has been sealed away for a very long time, which implies one of two things. 
Either that Ganon's minions had already infiltrated the Tower of the Gods, though not in a very significant way, or that they were incorporated into the Tower of the Gods at the time that it was constructed. I had always read the Tower of the Gods as being produced at around the time Ganon was released. Like, it was actually an act of the gods to create it. Maybe. I think it's definitely meant to test this link, so... It is very specific. It implies either clairvoyance that anticipates the specific circumstances of this link, or else that it was made with the expectation that it is not the hero of time who would come to these, and it's not the hero of the sky. Or maybe like uh, that it was literally not constructed until just now when placing the pearls activated the program. That does put... Yabun's line, I give to you the guidepost of the gods, in a slightly different context, because the tower itself is called the guidepost of the gods. There's a f- the, the word guidepost is used differently in a few different places, and since we're at the tower, we might as well pull that up. Well, it, it is used when you place the pearls. Um, it comes up when you control one of the little robot things. When you're first placing the pearls, they say, Wandering traveler who seeks the guidepost of the goddesses, place the pearl you hold here. And later, when you're inside and taking control, not a, it's like a mini Armos, it's like a baby Armos. When you're taking control of it, it says, Seeker of the goddesses' guidepost, call, and call me and guide me to my place of truth. So, Seeker of the goddesses' guidepost. In that case... The god post of the goddesses isn't actually the tower itself. It's what you're trying to get from the tower. Or what you're reaching at the top of it. I had two theories as to what it was. Okay. Uh, should we talk about, like, the boss of the tower first? Or it, sure. it's one of these theories inside the tower. It's not inside the tower. Okay. So it it's an interesting... It's a dungeon that does a lot of unique things... And that I think it's the one where you learn to control other uh, creatures in the game. You control the little uh, Armos dude using a magic song that you learn in there. And you use it to solve puzzles. And you climb up the tower. And you spend a lot of time climbing up the outside of the tower on a spiraling staircase. And at the top of it, you do war with... Godon. Godon. That was his name. Godon. Who's basically a combination of Bongo Bongo and those big fists from the inside of the Pyramid of Super Mario 64. The uh, figurine description for Godon does say it was created by the gods. Nice. That would make sense. Its name in Japanese also comes with a title. What is it? The Arbiter. The Arbiter. So literally the Arbiter of Worthiness. The brutes must pay. No. No. Halo 2 is a good Let's talk about Halo 2. No. <laughs> I'll buy that. It's a good game. I like, that, I like that you bring it down to just Halo 2 being the good game. Oh. It's got the most lore. I, yeah, I guess in a lot of ways it does have the most lore. Weren't, didn't that one have the most books tied into it? Oh, I, I can't keep track of all the Halo books. Just the games with all its lore. Uh Okay, I just like that he's called the Arbiter, because it's like he's the ar- literally the Arbiter of Worthiness, and the way that you prove yourself to him is by being able to get past him without dying. Little does he know, Link's packing Grandma's soup, so he don't stand a fucking chance. Also, um, Godam drops arrows from its nose to help you, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you- 
Yeah, it's a it's um a generous fight. Yeah, if you it's not possible to run out of supplies for the fight, but it, it's another. Is uh goat on the first straight up robot in Zelda? Uh, goat. Oh, that's true. But if we're not counting goat and just like robots that can talk to you and are sapient, then yes, I think so. Okay, this is where it all went downhill. <laughs> it, no. Downhill. They did the trains. Oh, <laughs> they did more. No, I'm joking. I like the robots and trains. <laughs> I like the weird science that Zelda has. It's one of the things that makes its setting uh, flavored in the particular way that it has. I like what Godam says. Um, he calls Link the chosen one. But there's also, uh, he also says that, you know, this is a trial that Link has to pass. And so it's consistent with the the general um, hero or the, the courage guy. Right. Having, you know, being chosen in some way, but still having to prove their worthiness. Right. Yeah, chosen by Godan. <laughs> no, by the gods. Well, it, it, it's... By himself. It's No, it's more specific. When you defeat Godan, he says, O oh, chosen one, what will now come to pass is tied to your fate, to the path that you have chosen. And this line is very important to my understanding of the game. Because it tells us that Link's fate is not fate in the sense that it is preordained by the gods. It is fate simply because it is what will happen. It is the path that he is on, but it is one that he chooses for himself. A fate that he makes. It's a nicer situation than Tetris. Yes. it's the He chooses to become, as Monica puts it, the courage guy. Yeah, he chooses to become the courage guy. And it's important because before he chooses, he's not the courage guy. He's not tied into this by blood. He has none of the weight of the old world resting upon him and the expectations from that place. He has to prove himself to the old world, prove that he's worthy of the weapons that it can give so that he can act in a way that will save the world he knows. I know this is jumping ahead, but... Can we just pull up that line about fate with respect to Tetra? Yes, let's see here. Uh, give me just a second. There's about 20 uses of the word fate in this text dump. Oh, they, oh, the fate is used in some serious ways here. I guess you could talk about it with the context of the sages, too, because that's a heavy word. Yeah, the sages, much like Tetra, are tied to the old world by their heritage. Yeah. And there's expectations placed upon them and how they react to it and how it affects them differs enormously between each person. And this is coming up with a control F of the text dump. Yes. Let's see. As all lore analyses must. Okay. So yeah, it's weird that the theme of, you know, not being tied to the machinations and heritage of the old world and choosing your own fate kind of only applies to Link. Yep. I think that to some degree, the game is about taking these old, corrupt, paternalistic structures and breaking them. And a big part of why it works is because at the end, the King of Red Lions realizes that. But I think we're going to, when we get to it, we will read out that particular line. Okay. We'll leave it for right now? We'll leave it for right now. Okay. So after you defeat Godan, you get to the top of the Tower of the Gods, and there is a bell there. 
and you ring the bell, and it is the world's biggest goddamn bell. It's great because you have to physically actually hook onto it and swing. Yeah, you have to ring the clanger. I think that's that's one of my first guesses as to what the guidepost could be. Mm-hmm. The bell. Mm-hmm. The second is what happens this... when you ring the bell, which is the giant shaft of magical light. That just pierces down to Hyrule. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of a guidepost. Yeah, that's true. The fact that this the the Tower of the Gods opens the way to the Hyrule Bubble is what makes me think the Hyrule Bubble was created by the gods themselves. Yes. Okay. Instead of Ganon. That's also a good a, point. That's a very good point. So, what was your indication that it was created by the king? The, the bubble. Uh huh. I remember that we each had three different answers to this. That uh, Crystal held it was by one. I held that you held that it was by another. I held that it's definitely Ganon, and neither of you agreed with that. Um, you edited the podcast, so what were our positions? I thought that you had said the king, but you looked confused when I said that just now. Well, I thought we're going to get into this later. Are we? Yes. Okay, we'll get into it later then. But in fact, like I said, I guess in part, you can edit this out. Sure. So we still have these three different readings of it. But Crystal's reading that it was the gods who placed it and it is the gods' power that leads you down into Hyrule is the one that's textually supported as of right this second. Or at least the most strongly textually supported. Yeah, you would say? I would say? I would say. I would say that Crystal's perspective is the most strongly supported. Why do you think the goddesses made this bubble? I have a theory, but I want to hear what you think. I actually don't think the goddesses made the bubble, so you might as well... (laughs) You might as well go ahead, Crystal. Okay. Well, here's my theory. I think they wanted the descendants to collapse it. Oh. That's a very benevolent approach. They didn't want to wash away the old world for the descendants. They wanted the descendants to make the choice to wash it away. Uh, That's very ironic with the way things turn out then, isn't it? it? It could also... Going along these lines, maybe they wanted Daphnis to reach that understanding. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Yes. As the wisher, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that could He make... can finally learn to let go. Yeah. Oh, I don't want the story to be about him, though. I love Daphnis. It's he's hard about him. I love Daphnis. He's the best. He's arguing. Daphnis. He's one of the best characters in the entire series, but I don't want this story to be about him. It's also about him, though. <laughs> It's super fucking about him, but I don't want that part of it to be about him. I want it to be about the children. I want it to be like Crystal said. Is that me? Am I the glasses man? Um, no, that's Link. Oh, that's Link with his sunglasses on. Okay. So you travel down the shaft of light, riding the king of red lions, and there's a sequence here where Link looks around and realizes he's under the ocean, and he's holding his breath, and he tries to hold it the whole fucking way, and he can't do it, so he... Let's go, and he's prepared to drown, and he stops, and he looks around, and he realizes he can breathe, and he goes, yeah, okay, now it makes sense. That's why I drew him wearing the sunglasses. Oh, okay, because he gets the cool guy look after that. He's like, yeah, let's go. And you go down, 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 past much water, down into the very heart of where Hyrule used to be. And the first shot you get is of the royal crest, the wing crest, and it's such a lovely introduction before you see the rest of the castle yes and you come down as you said uh is it in the courtyard actually there's a back courtyard yeah yeah basically or garden so you come down in this very idyllic peaceful spot 
And what does the King of Red Lions tell you? Something to the effect that you must have a lot of questions, but there's no time right now. We'll get into it later. I know you're wondering about where you are, but... But we got to do this. We got to do this Go get the thing there. Go get the thing. Yeah. (laughs) So Link goes inside. And as he's looking around, uh, he's on the he's inside of a castle, and this castle is apparently under siege by monsters. It's got moblins and dark nuts and lots of broken masonry and a large statue of the hero of time at the center of the room, and all of it is still and gray and silent. You also see two giant paintings on each side and one is of a very kingly fellow uh-huh. and one of them is zelda with a team of people who look exactly like the pirates there you go exactly like the pirates <laughs> yeah that sounds about right and people who didn't get it before have probably pieced together what's going on yeah hey some people still end up being really surprised by what happens at the end of the sequence okay and it's told to you that there is a magic seal placed in this room to protect the treasure of the castle from evil hands. And you must solve this puzzle to get past it. And you make a Triforce. That's the puzzle you make a Triforce. It's... Can we talk about how silly this magical seal puzzle is? Yes, we can. Okay, 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 okay. This is the line that the King of Red Lions says. All right, Link. I'll need you to listen to me for a moment. The item you seek is hidden somewhere in this castle. To find it, you must find the entrance to the basement. But that entrance has been blocked by a mighty threshold, firmly sealed to prevent evil from ever gaining access. Do you know where to search and what you must do to open the hidden way? You will find a clue in the shape of the herald near where we arrived at the castle. Okay, okay. And then once you uh, push the triangle blocks around... And make a Triforce, and it opens the gate and moves the statue of the Hero of Time backwards and reveals the secret fucking staircase. The King of Red Lions gets in contact with you again and says, Excellent, Link. To perceive such a puzzle and decipher it is no small feat. I think somebody drew a comic. I can't remember who, but it's of the puzzle and then Ganon going there and just being totally stumped and weeping. Because he can't figure it out how to get inside of it. How to make the triangles. Right. He's like, I. why is it so unfair? And the idea that this puzzle was designed to keep Ganon out is patently absurd. The only real explanation for the guy who thinks about nothing but the Triforce (laughs) (laughs) to not have done this, the best explanation is that he never actually tried to. Because also what's in there is the Master Sword, which... He couldn't do anything with anyway. Yeah. It is not within his power to move it. No evil hand may touch it. Uh, what if he, like, kept poking it till he built up a resistance? <laughs> like some... Uh, no, I got nothing. Yeah, what if that happened? I, I He'd be less evil. And he, he doesn't want that. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to be less evil. He's a big evil man. Oh, so it would, like, suck away his evil? Yes. Yeah, it's like every time he touches it, it destroys a little bit of his evil. Like, psh, oh, why do I care about things? Psh, oh, I want to adopt a dog. Psh. Over and over. 
Yeah, at the end we get a Ganondorf who's really nice and he takes Daphnis to task for his paternalism and how he keeps pushing things on his granddaughters. And it's like, why you do this, man? And everybody likes Ganondorf a lot more and realizes that he was never evil in the first place. Well, that would be a weird fucking game, but I would like that. You know? So you go down into the basement and the Master Sword is there. And it is the most cool yet ostentatious framing of the master sword for any of the games and that it's surrounded by these statues of knights and it's sitting in the middle of this almost cathedral where the stained glass windows show the six sages from ocarina of time and the ground around the master sword has i guess the the citizens of hyrule uh, praying to it oh so it's like uh what do you call that? Damn it. There's a thing for this. That particular art style. You're not... You don't know either? Okay. But what does it look like? They're praying to it? Yes, but how is it designed? What medium is it? it on the ground? The stone? <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> what? Okay, fresco it's is a, to ceiling. Type medium. Fresco is to ceiling as blank is to floor. Cobblestones? No. I'm not an art major. Oh. St- stalagmites. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Uh, no, it's like you take pieces of colored stone and you arrange them. Oh, so- mosaics? Is it mosaic? Yeah, mosaic. God, <laughs> it's like the Serentine mosaic. Fuck me. Yeah. And I'm glad you find this shit funny because it's killing me. Oh, God, I was trying to think of this. Yeah, this is uh, usually the Master Sword is presented as like a forgotten blade from a bygone age. But here, pe- people remember it. They worship it. Yeah. They placed a lot of their faith and a lot of their hopes in the Master Sword being taken up again. And there's this air of ritual and worship that came up. And their reverence for it is really strange in comparison to the rest of the series. Because you're right, Crystal, it is usually hidden. But here, here they prayed for the Hero of Time to return. Here they enshrined the weapon that would beat back the darkness. Here their hopes died. And here, Link takes the sword up again. Um, I think there's there's two things that caught or drew my attention in that moment. The first thing is, having played the other Zelda games before Wind Waker, the player immediately knows that it looks different. It may just be the art style because Link looks different, but the little wing things are, are withdrawn. Oh, yes. It does actually look different. Yeah. And so it, it felt very off. Something a little bit off about that moment, which is in, you know, almost every Zelda game now where Link picks it up and swipes it around and looks cool. Yes, Link picks it up and he does hold it aloft and it is sort of a cool sequence, but there's something, there's some essential element to it that's missing there. But there's a second thing that drew my attention in that scene, which is as he picks it up and a light shines and whatnot, there's the sound of a bell. I love that sound so much. And, you know, we first hear the bell when, you know, Link rings it at the top of the Tower of the Gods. And this is the second time we hear this sort of ringing sound. And it's really, it's the sound of the Triforce. Yes, there is definitely a third time that we hear it immediately following this one. The fact that it's the sound of the Triforce, do you see significance in that? No, it's just a nice sound. (laughs) I like that they brought it back for Breath of the Wild. Yes. That's one of the best aural through lines in the entire series. It just makes you think this is a magical Triforce moment. Yeah, it uh, further connects with the Dark Souls with the bells that open the way to Sen's Fortress. Mm. Mm. 
Let's see. Is so, that in the first Dark Souls? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. So, so I will play it when it's on the Switch. Yeah. I recommend rolling Pyromancer. Pyromancer is still the best class in Dark Souls. Okay. See, Pyromancer is good because you don't have any stat investment. So you can take a real heavy armor and a real heavy weapon and still fling that magic around. All you need to do is kill enough enemies to collect the souls you need to upgrade your flame. And anyway, we'll talk about that when you play Dark Souls. We should do a special Dark Souls episode. Guaranteeing it now, we're going to do a special Dark Souls episode. Anyway, (laughs) so now that you've done this, is Tetra there with you? No, she's not here through this. So, you've got the Blade of Evil's Bane, and the King of Red Lion is like, All right, we got it. Let's go kick Ganon's ass. That's basically what he says, right? My notes stop here because I thought we would stop here. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I think we've actually reached a pretty good stopping point in a way. Crystal, do we have any questions to go through or do you want to keep going? We do have several questions in the questions document. Let me also check the email. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. There's nothing in the email. Oh, okay. oh wait. No, I'm wrong. Where can people send us questions? Holy shit. We just got a question in the email. Yeah. Okay. The way that they got this question to us was by sending it to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That is bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. And since I like email questions so much, they're my favorite kind of questions. Let's do this one first. Okay. Okay. This question comes from Daniel. And Daniel writes, Hi, long-time listener, first-time caller. I've been hearing rumors that Cass doesn't wear pants. I think that's incorrect, as he is wearing a belt. And the evidence is concept art of Breath of the Wild Rito, and oftentimes concept art is different from the finished product. Your thoughts? Let's pull up a picture of Cass. He plainly wears pants. Like, you can see his thighs are, like, loosely draped over his his calves. Yeah, he's clearly wearing pants. Yeah, those are pants. Wait, hold on. It has the same pattern here that the uh, feathers on his arms have, though. He got it to match. Yeah, that's fashion. Yeah, he's wearing pants. Come on. Those are, so there's white poofy things on his thighs. It's, so I guess people are saying those are actually... His, ta- his feathers for his thighs? No, nah, it doesn't make sense. No, he's wearing pants. He's wearing pants that are the same color as his scarf. He's coordinating. All the Rita wear pants. What a weird thought. <laughs> and, um... There's nobody that doesn't wear pants in Breath of the Wild. And except belts. Except the Koroks. Belts. You need to wear a belt with pants. You can't just wear a belt. I guess you could wear a belt on you. It would chafe terribly. If you're going to do that, you might as well drape it over your shoulders. So, yeah. Cass definitely wears pants, Daniel. I think that we're united on this. That is a great question. That is a good question. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, People seem to think a lot of the time that you should keep your questions towards games that we have yet to talk about or are going to talk about. Don't worry about that. Sending questions about anything. Breath of the Wild was our first episode and we won't be returning it to it for another two years. But uh, we love Breath of the Wild questions as much as any other kind of question. So send them all. Send them all. Okay. So the questions document. Could you get the next one there, Crystal? Okay. This one, the next several are going to come from Tim Garris. Hi, Tim. Uh, first is our... <laughs> now we know Hi, Tim. Tim. Are Beatles slash Tingle also reincarnations that show up in multiple eras? If so, why? Or are they just two guys that are really old? I think... Hylians have this weird thing where their descendants look or can look almost exactly like the ancestors. We see it in Zelda, we see it in Beetle, and well, I don't know about Tingle. Tingle might just be very old, but we see it in like the Oracle games with Malin and so on. Oh, is that how we're... Okay. Yes. Uh, 
Is Beetle the shopkeep in Skyward Sword? Yes. Okay. So he keeps the his the thing afloat by cycling constantly. He's one of the shopkeeps. There's many. But, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like Beetle's in there. I, yeah. I was talking specifically about the one Crystal mentioned, the keeping it afloat by pedaling mm-hmm. shopkeep. Okay, so Beetle's in that. He's in Wind Waker. Um, he's in Breath of the Wild. Is he in the DS games? He might. He is in both DS games. Yes. Okay. So Beetle's in there a lot. Uh, what's your take on this? Crystal? He's also Minish Cap. I don't know about that one. What's your take on this, Crystal? Yeah, they're just reincarnations. Just reincarnations? Yeah. What do you see? That's a thing that happens. Is is reincarnation that big a thing in Hyrule as a setting? Yeah. Why else do people keep coming back? Well, I think that it's more like Beetle and is probably a really common name for kids who look like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So every kid that kind of looks like that is called Beetle, uh-huh. and then he decides to take the same profession. No, Link only runs into the shopkeeps because he runs. He interacts with shopkeeps more often than he interacts with other people. So there are many kids that look like Beetle and are named Beetle, and some of them enter the shopkeeping profession. Uh huh. And those are the ones that Link sees. <laughs> You ever think about how fucked up Beale's face is? No, what do you mean? Because his eyes are like in, like almost at the top of his forehead, and then his nose stretches across like three quarters of his face. Oh, well, I mean, he's got a very, he he looks a lot like uh, that. There's a little piece of art of him in Wind Waker where he's wearing what looks like a Greco-Roman helmet of some kind, and he pretends not to be Beetle. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he looks like a piece of art that would depict one of those helmets. So I I like pushing Beetle around in Breath of the Wild because you just run into him and he falls on his ass. Beetle's kind of an asshole in that game. Oh. I'm disturbed by how when when you refuse to give him a beetle, he basically plots to like hire people to like sabotage you and take it and swap it with another beetle and of lesser value, and you'll never notice, and he won't get his hands dirty. This is kind of distressing. Yeah, Beetle's actually a scumbag in Breath of the Wild. He gives you an ancient arrow, though. He does? Yes. For when? Uh, near the start of the game. Oh, okay. He, like, gives you your first ancient arrow sometimes? Yeah. Hmm. I, I, yeah, Fujibayashi seems to have taken a real liking to Beetle. He's the new Tingle. He's a fun character, and he's also a lot less offensive than Tingle, so I'm okay with it. I don't think there's a canon explanation for Beetle and Tingle. It's just one of those weird things. But what I said before is as close as I'm going to get to it. I do like how his his legs are very muscular in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> oh yeah, he shredded in cycling. That. His legs in particular are like really something. Well, his backpack must weigh hundreds of pounds. Yes, Breath of the Wild has a lot of next question. Really good uh, little tiny character design touches like that. I think. Damn, uh-huh. Tim sent us all the questions. Uh, Monica, would you read this next one? Are there any people in the Hyrule beneath the sea? Animals? Monsters besides those in Ganon's Tower? There's at least plenty of living vegetation that implies some sort of ecosystem, which Daphne straight up murders. Huh. What's your take, Crystal? I don't think there are any uh, people beneath the sea, or animals, or monsters. But there is plainly plant life, and that is a bit weird. I think everything's in a state of suspension. Um, you see this when you first yeah. when you first go down because some of the water fountains are frozen in mid 
Yeah, time four. is frozen. Yeah, so the, that's why the planets are okay. Everything in the bubble is frozen. Yeah, I don't think there's in, you know, an active ecosystem, but why didn't they kill the plants? Well, they didn't kill it because time doesn't have... Like, time wasn't passing in that part, so there was nothing to make them die. These are ancient plants. Yeah, these well, plants are from when Ganon was sealed away. But then, where's all the animals? They probably fled, I guess. Or you, okay. Or you just don't see them. There's definitely no people down there, though. I, I, I imagine they all fled. Or died. Or died. Yeah, there's people there, but they're dead people. Otherwise, yeah, that gets... Yeah, you don't really see Hyrule Castle littered with corpses as it probably might be. Yeah, like in canon, there's dead folks in there probably. Well, the king might have prepared for such a moment and, you know, this the area around could have been evacuated save for... Him. Him and the sages. And the sages, yeah. Oh, that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, no, the answer is no, Tim. Uh, this next question... Are there only two sages in this time, or did Link just only need two, and Makar and Medley were just the most convenient? Or are these an entirely different set of sages from the ones in other games tied specifically to the Master Sword? He's asking a bigger question here, I think, in that the role of the sages we haven't gone into yet, but in this game the sages empower the Master Sword. So he's kind of asking if the sages of Wind and Earth always powered the Master Sword, and I think the answer is no. Um, Nothing about the sages ever makes sense. I think they could be. They're definitely a different sort than the six sages. And for now, all we know of their function is that they power the master sword. Or keep it sparkling. Here's how I see it. The seal placed on Ganon's power, not just his power, but the power of the Triforce of Power, is the master sword. And, of course, we'll be talking about that more next episode. Spoilers! Sorry, everybody. If you haven't played Wind Waker, why are you listening to this? But the seal is the Master Sword itself, which is made to counteract the power of the Triforce. But I think perhaps in directly throwing itself against the power of the Triforce of Power, all of its energy may have been expended. Its power used up utterly to seal Ganon in time. And it is the sages who have to provide additional power to it by channeling the power of the gods, which is what the sages do. They have no strength of their own. They channel the gods' power. And by channeling that same power into the sword, they are able to keep it in a state that is more or less the way it used to be. But the natural state of the sword now is very nearly broken. Okay. Ganon's return was so cataclysmic that the only way they could seal him away was to use the Blade of Evil's Bane as a linchpin in a fashion that strained it to a degree that they did not understand until after it was over. Which is why Daphnis, in spite of knowing the sages, did not realize that the Master Sword was no longer in any condition to fight Ganon. Do you think there would have been more sages if they had more time in development? Because I know there were at least two more dungeons that they wanted to put in i think it's pretty likely we could have gotten a third sage yeah three is a magical number. it would make sense to have three sages yeah and then they would have been aligned very appropriately with the three goddesses we would have gotten a nehru style sage and we would be talking about how we had three characters from this game who are contenders for the best characters in the series who would they who would it be though from what race and I guess what title? We could have had an entirely different race of people. 
Yeah. Like the Gorons, as they exist in this game, may not have been in, and instead the Gorons became something else in the same way that the Kokiri and the Zora became something else. Mm. But that had to be scrapped when they had to take out the dungeon and the locations tied to it. And Sage title? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, we've got wind. We've got earth. Why not water? Well, again, water. Sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But it could have been something. Waves. Sure. Sage of waves. Whatever. The point is that, yeah, I think we would have had a third sage. What's your take on it, Crystal? Uh, Yeah, I think they are definitely a different set of sages. Uh, They're just there to get power to the Master Sword by channeling it through pretty music. Do you think that they were always powering the Master Sword? Hmm. No, because they're not in Ocarina of Time. That's true. I think... Well, okay. So, Ganon kills them actually not that long before you get to them. So, in my mind, they were just, like, sitting in their caves, constantly playing the fiddle to keep the to keep the Master Sword powered up, awaiting the new hero. Huh. We don't really know when exactly... I kind of assumed that it was a long time ago. I think it was like shortly before he was able to go to the surface, but we don't really have any context for when that is. I don't know. It could also be that he killed them and the rest of the time he was clawing against the barrier, which clawing against the lock, which they were no longer powering. So over time he was able to weaken it. That could work too. So, um... Unknown. They they do seem to be the only two sages in this time, though. There are no other six sages. In this era. Yeah, in this era, which is the first part of the question. Okay. Is the entire world flooded in Wind Waker, or just the area of it local to Hyrule? Historia says, yes. I'm not seeing anything specific in the instructions or the Wind Waker text dump. Historia says the world? Does the Historia say that? Could you grab our copy of the Historia real quick? Uh, mm. Monica's going to go grab our copy of the Historia to check this thing about the world being flooded. Maybe I don't think the whole world is flooded. Maybe he meant the area local to Hyrule is what the Historia says. What a big book this is. I, it would really suck if Laburna had to suffer <laughs> needlessly. Well, I think the key thing here is that regardless of whether or not a bit of Hyrule or all of Hyrule or whatever was at sea level at the time, or or such, was drowned. And it wasn't the entire world, because there's still parts that stick out of it. Okay, um, here's what the Hyrule Historia says on the subject. The gods chose which of the kingdom's subjects would ascend to the new land, telling them to escape to the tallest mountains. They then flooded the world sinking Ganondorf and Hyrule to the bottom of the ocean and sealing them away. So if you weren't chosen, sorry. Jesus. The Hyrule Historia says that the entire world was flooded. So I don't buy into that. I know it doesn't make sense from a physics perspective, but I think only Hyrule was flooded. Oh. I think the way the world is used there does not necessarily refer to the entire planet, but more figuratively to the world of Hyrule. In the same way you might say, like, the new world and the old world. Oh, so the question is more on, did the the raising of the waters happen all around the sphere? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Tim was asking if, if, like, did Din, Nehru, and Faror pull a Jehovah? Yes. You think they flooded the entire planet? Yes. The planet may consist mainly of Hyrule. Oh, 
That's How so, would it otherwise work? It's just a localized place with a lot of water. I mean, it doesn't have to make a ton of sense. It's the work of the gods. It the water level yeah, they, raised they, like uh, put some many kilometers. Put mountains around it. Oh, mountains? Then why yeah, put mountains we seen around the mountains. You, put, you can't sail that far. They're really far away. Okay. Yeah. Because the idea, we know there are non-flooded lands. They go to it in uh, spirit tracks. Are you suggesting? Well, that's just a big mountain. That might be just a big mountain. It was an entire continent. Yeah, are you suggesting a continent that mountain. if that can be elevated miles and miles higher than the entire rest of everything else, why can't this whole thing just you know be localized to the area of Hyrule? It's literally the gods who created the universe. Okay, I'll accept the mountain thing. Okay, it's just like they made a big bowl and filled it up with water. Sorry, other people who we didn't deign were worthy of, of ascending the mountains. Oh, man, yeah. The... Maybe they shouldn't have done sin. <laughs> Maybe they shouldn't have done sin. What is sin in Hyrule? I don't know, but... Histo- breaking pots. In his in the, the Historia takes a... Not breaking pots. A very cat... God damn it. <laughs> The, oh man, that, that threw me for a loop for a second. The Historia takes a very callous tone to the goddesses and what they did, which is strange because I always thought that it was an act of enormous mercy. Because yeah. the implication is that Ganon is much worse than the Flood. And he would argue the point, but he's basically the devil and you do anything you can to keep him away, even if it breaks the world as it is. I I would not characterize it as an act of mercy. I think it is very much an Old Testament kind of act where it is uh, justified, but maybe not very kind. We have different reads of why the gods did this particular thing, though. Because I read it as them being like moved by compassion to protect the people of Hyrule. You read it as them wiping away Hyrule because Hyrule was a mistake. Yes. So that uh, that that's that's the fundamental difference between how we read these. Did we ever settle on why they didn't just kill Ganon? They couldn't. They literally could not. That's it. Why not? Um. There's a line I think in all all Ganon has is the Triforce of Power, which is but. A small portion of Din's essence. King isn't a swordsman. Zelda wasn't either. What? They needed the Master Sword. No, like, no, 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 no. Um, Crystal's saying, why didn't Din, Nehru, and Faror just smite him? Oh, oh. Uh, let's see here. It's difficult for me to accept that there's anything that the goddesses cannot do. Um... Okay. They have a pact not to kill, actually kill people. That that doesn't make sense with the <laughs> no, flood. It doesn't apply at all. But I think there's a line in Moby Dick that I often think about with regards to Ganon's relationship with the gods. And in spite of the fact that the gods created the physical world, it also seems like there are forces dictating things that aren't necessarily according to their design. The line that I'm thinking about is something that I think Ahab says to Starbuck, and part of it goes, Talk not to me of blasphemy, man. I'd strike the sun if it insulted me. The idea being that if Ganon, holding the essence of the power of the gods, were able to gather up the will and the awareness of what was happening, 
he would strike and thought that the gods were against him, he would try to kill them. Yeah, that works. I guess, effectively, we were talking about can't the the gods kill Ganon, and the answer is no, probably not. At this stage, he will simply reincarnate. The ceiling thing could have been them actually killing him. This is them trying to take him out of the picture. And he comes back. Because Ganon is proving deathless. Over and over, he is proving himself deathless. And every time he returns, he gathers more and more powerful power unto himself. Without the power of the Triforce, without most of his own magic, he is able to stop the sun in the sky and render islands asunder, to split the earth as if it were a microcosm of the way that Din formed the world. And this is without the vast majority of his strength. We never see Ganon as he really is in Wind Waker. Much like Breath of the Wild, we only see him restrained, lessened, put up against forces much greater than himself. So I think that if I were a god and I was dealing with Ganon, I would do everything I could to undermine him in ways that could not be traced back to me no matter how great a god I was. Because this setting, as is established much more concretely in some later games, is a setting where no deity is beyond reach of grasping mortal hands. I guess it's true that Ganon thinks that the Flood was to destroy the people. (laughs) His blame, he he has a weird way of looking at it. He's not really thinking that they were out to get him. He might, but he does expound on the cruelty of what they did. But I think the curse on the sea is probably from him, not from the gods. That his evil changes the oceans by radiating upward through it. That's why everything that dies in the sea, like the sharks and the octopi, just disappear into poofs of smoke. That's him. Not even on purpose, it's just him. He's sort of almost like a Sauron or a Melkor figure in that... His presence changes the world around him due to the immensity of his power and the immensity of his malice, which is expounded upon again in Breath of the Wild. I like the position that they can't kill him. No, they can't. I mean, they could if he didn't have the Triforce of Power, but the instant he got his hands on that, he holds a major key to the engine of the gods. And at that point, what he can do is not limitless, but much worse to consider and if he ever gets hold of the entire triforce who knows what would happen at first he wishes for hyrule to be returned to him but what happens past that it's hard to say because his grudge against the gods which is made more explicit in twilight princess is started here and made very mm, potent that's it that's why i think they didn't kill canon because not only okay. if they, if they found out that they couldn't shit would have gotten really bad and i think that's also a big part of why there's this sense of urgency to destroying ganon because if he is free then he will bring down the pillars of heaven that's it that's a nice moby dick paragraph god i love ahab so much he is the worst person and maybe the best character in anything punch the sun just punch that fucking sun <sighs> They should have made the whole castle out of the Master Sword. They should have made the whole <laughs> castle out of the Master Sword. <sighs> okay, so, um, Rawls question. We see the Earth and Wind Sages in Wind Waker, and their job seems to be to just pray inside a temple to empower the Master Sword. Has that always been the case for other games with it? 
Was there an Earth and Wind Sage and a Link to the Past? Or are they just in Wind Waker? Why? Raul, well, I meant to get into this on the last episode, but uh, going through Tim's uh, stuff accidentally breached into sort of the same subject. But I think that, no, it hasn't always been the case. The Master Sword is doing much more now than it's ever had to do in the past, and it needs the extra strength or it won't hold up under the strain. That's how I read it. I like that reading. Because it's act. Yeah. Because Ganondorf is pushing out with the Triforce of Power as hard as he can. And the tr- in spite of the fact that he doesn't have the true force... The Triforce of Power is a lot to contend with, and it may just be that that is the equivalent strength of the Master Sword. That's pretty much. And, they uh, had other functions too. Yeah, they had other functions, uh, very important functions for communicating with the gods. I don't. I guess it's implied that there were uh, wind and earth sages before all of this. Why didn't they come up in Ocarina of Time? Um, they weren't entirely necessary to the purpose. I guess this is just one of those things where Zelda games establish canon within themselves that doesn't necessarily tie into the canon of other games. In Wind Waker, yes, there were always wind and earth sages, but in the other games, no. No, of course not. No, but I mean, in Wind Waker's own canon, there were the six sages. There weren't other sages at the time of those sages. (laughs) So maybe in Wind Waker, it was always the case that they had to empower the Master Sword and that was their only function? No, but then they would be on the stained glass window. True. Um, Maybe it was more that... Because they communicate with the gods on behalf of the people of Hyrule by playing with the king or playing with whoever holds the Wind Waker. So maybe they just serve a different communal role. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe the role was formed at the time of the Flood. Oh, so maybe it's that they rose up to the... Oh, so through worship they became sages rather than it being an eternal position. Yeah, and also because they're the double... They're Kokiri and um, Zora, and there's already Kokiri and Zora equivalents in the six. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, So maybe it's just that the position of the sages of those six elements were retired after they died, maybe? And they had sages... Of different elements thereafter? Yeah. I don't know. Or it just, you know, the six stages could theoretically continue up to a point. (laughs) I guess. I'm sure if they had been around, Ganon would have killed them, though. Yeah. What's your take, Crystal? I think the two sages are... Okay. See, you know, are you familiar with Bionicle? (laughs) No. Why don't you walk me through it? So there's there's six Toa in Bionicle, right? Uh Uh-huh. And then three of those Toa can combine into one big Toa. So the Earth Sage is like a combination of water, fire, and shadow. Okay. I like this. And the Wind Sage <laughs> is a combination of forest, spirit, and light. Uh, okay. Yeah. Wait, wait. Why that divide? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, okay. Uh, for Earth, the Zora is Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's water. Yeah. Because uh, the earth has water in it and fire. Uh, there's lava is earth. Mm. And the earth is dark. So <laughs> shadow. Well, I was thinking that uh, the earth temple has zombies in it. So that's shadow. Sure. But it also has mirror puzzles. Okay. And mirror puzzles are super spirit. Actually, the earth temple. Oh, that's true. The earth temple actually has a snake motif to it, too. So that's. You, you may actually not be very far off on this, Crystal. Because that, that, the Earth... Temp- okay, okay, so Spirit is part of Earth. Then. Yeah, because, I mean, they actually do have Gerudo motifs down there in the Earth Temple. Yeah, that makes sense. It does make pretty decent sense, Crystal. Wow. 
Okay. So, and then wind is shadow, forest, and light. Light. And Wait, light. shadow Shadow is earth. It'd have to be fire, forest, and light. Fire for the up, updrafts. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Go with it. She's taking notes on this as if she's going to take a quiz on them later. Wait, which one has the ghost boss? Medley. Medley, yes. Yeah, definitely okay. earth temple. So, definitely shadow. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It all fits together. Where can we find you online, Cameron? You can find me on Twitter, at CamWriter, and uh, nowhere else. You can find me at Twitter, at ArcaneCrystal. You can find me on the Let's Plays podcast at AudioEntropy.com. We have all sorts of podcasts at AudioEntropy.com. Maybe you like uh, Transformers Beast Wars. We have a podcast about that. It's called War and Beast. Maybe you like Digimon. We have a podcast about that. It's called Digimon Digital Moncast. And there's all sorts of other great podcasts on AudioEntropy.com. Now, do you want to hear a funny joke about the Legend yes. of Zelda? Oh, God. What? This comes from ZeldaUniverse.net uh, forum thread Zelda puns from user Cody. What did the Deku Scrub say when he was asked to host a Christmas party? What? Leaf it to me. Yes. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Jesus, God. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.